The reading is from Mark, chapter 1, which can be found on page 1002 in the Church Bibles. So it's Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Margaret. Let's pray. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Naught be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Lord, may that be so. As we come to your word now and hear you speak to us, Lord, I pray that you would be our vision, most thrilling, most wonderful. Amen. 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 Well, it's um, been amazing, hasn't it, seeing the queues to see the Queen. There have been 14-hour waits, 24-hour waits, and, and always the same. The people in the queue say it's worth it. It's totally worth it. And the people out of the queue think it's not worth it. That's crazy. And I guess there are also some amongst us as well that actually find the Queen's death a bit hard because she stands for and represents something that actually is quite painful in our history. And so it's definitely not worth it. But that is the question, isn't it? Is, is it worth it? The cues to see uh, this person. Uh, you know, she's died and she's brought about great change in our nation and the lives of many. And it's great that because of her trust in the Lord, no matter her imperfections or what she stood for that was wrong, she is with the Lord in heaven now, enjoying that. But what, what, what do you think she would make of people queuing for 24 hours to see her in her coffin? I'd like to think that perhaps with a smile, she might very quietly observe the irony that death has increased her appeal. And you might ask the same thing of Christians. Is it worth it? You might look at the Christians around you and think, why just stop being so weird? It's just not worth being that weird about how brilliant Jesus is, or the weird values and, and kind of morals that you have and the way that you live. You might think of that, and you sort of think, you know, when it comes to drink or, or the limits of marriage or kind of the fact that you go on about Jesus, is that really worth it? Or maybe as a Christian, you might be asking yourself this morning, is this really worth it, being here on a Sunday, experiencing the persecution, discrimination, and the slander and whatever else? It just feels like hard work, whether you're in school or whether you're off to uni or whether you're in the workplace or in Pilates or in the pub. 
can't think of anything else beginning with P. It feels like hard work. Is it worth it? Now, the, the, the Roman Christians to whom this book was written about Jesus were asking exactly the same question. Is it worth it? Is it worth the persecution and the discrimination and the slander and the anger that they faced from the Romans around them for their different morals, values and lives? And this was written so that they might know that it's definitely worth it. And that is the payoff of this talk. The payoff of this talk is being different from Jesus is definitely worth it because of who he is and what he calls us to do. It's definitely worth being different from Jesus because of who he is and what he calls us to do. We're in a series where we're thinking about how Jesus is thrilling. And I hope we're going to see that today, that he is someone who changes our life and actually all the difficulty it comes with that is totally worth it. And so now is the time to repent and believe. Now is the time. So we're going to see two things in this passage, I think. Jesus came, the God-man, verses 9 to 13. And we're also going to see that Jesus basically calls us to repent, which is to come home to him. Okay, so have that Bible open at page 1002 and look down with me at verses 9 and to 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptised by John in the Jordan. Now you can tell a lot about someone about how they arrive, can't you? When the Queen arrives at her funeral, it's going to be on a gun carriage drawn by millions of sailors and whatnot, and you can tell immediately, big deal. That is not the case with Jesus. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now I don't want to offend anyone, but that is a northern country that is total backwater, and so I'll leave it to you to imagine which northern city you're thinking of. But that is where he came from. He is a nobody in the world's eyes from where he comes from. And what does he come to do? Just, uh, uh, he comes to be baptised by John uh, in the Jordan, which is what all the ordinary people are doing. The people who have got sin and need to repent. He's doing exactly what anyone else does. He doesn't seem special at all. In fact, <laughs> do you know, it's, it's actually verse 9 here. It says he was baptised. He's passive. It's like it's happening to him. He, he's, Jesus is the son of God, is what we're going to get. But here, he's, he's totally like anyone else, isn't he? It'd be very easy to miss, like those US, those US tourists we were talking about last week, who totally missed they were speaking to God. It'd be easy to miss him. But then we're also told, actually, that Jesus is not just a, a man, he's God. Specifically, the son of God. We get a privileged peek behind the curtain that no one else sees, when we experience a baptism like no other. Now, I don't know about you, but the baptism this morning was really fun. It was delightful, and I was very pleased to have got through it. But at no point did any of these things happen. Look with me what happens when Jesus is baptised. And notice, we are the only people who see this. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, in verse 10, he saw... So we're with him and we're seeing what he sees. No one else is seeing this, yeah? He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now in a way I'm quite glad that didn't happen when we baptised the kids this morning because that would be a big deal, wouldn't it? This is a very, very big deal. Heaven splits open. 
You know all hell set loose? This is all heaven set loose. That's amazing, isn't it? And it tells us who he is. The next time that word appears, the splitting, is right at the end of Mark's Gospel, when Jesus dies on the cross, and a Roman centurion sees that the temple splits, uh, the temple curtain splits, and at that moment we cut to a Roman centurion, and he goes, this man truly was the Son of God. The point of that word is, is to remind us, what we're dealing with here is, we've got to recognise who this is, just like that Roman soldier. This person is the Son of God. That's what this event's telling us. Do you see, look, a a, a father's voice from heaven, verse 11, this is my son, so he's a father. And he says what Jesus is, not what he's becoming. This is not Jesus has suddenly changed into someone else. He has always been the eternal uh, son of the eternal father. But here he is as a man. This is picking up what happens in Psalm uh, 2, verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. That's what, that's what we're supposed to think of, this amazing person who's going to come from God. And Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. That's the suffering servant that's going to come and sort everything out and deal with our sin. It's obvious that what's happening here is we are being, we're being shown a glimpse behind the curtain that leaves you in no doubt about who this is. Jesus is the Son of God. Still not convinced? The Spirit descends. The Spirit descends on him like a dove, doesn't it? A voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And before that, uh, when the heavens are opened, the Spirit is descending on him like a dove. And now he is equipped and ready to go and attested as that person, that creator person, who will fix all things. This is no ordinary person. You might miss it if you were to meet him. But we know now as readers, don't we? We've got, we've got a bit more knowledge than the people in the story. We know who it is. This is the Son of God. This is a holy God with unholy people. This is a creator with his creatures. This is the sinless, perfect God with sinful, imperfect people like you and I. Do you see what he does almost immediately? Is he's, t- he's taken out to the wilderness and, he's, and, he's, and he um, resists temptation by Satan for 40 days. I don't know about you, but I last about 10 minutes in the drop-off traffic around here. I can't resist temptation for 40 days from Satan. This is the perfect sinless God. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? That's the implication. It changes everything for us. If Jesus really is God then if you've got a failing heart as a Christian, you are following the right person because you are following the Son of God. But also, it's a challenge for you. If you're new to Christianity, I've got a mate who always says, um, he always goes, look, buddy, Christianity is great. It's so good for you. You know, you do your thing. That's brilliant. That doesn't work because I'm saying his creator has come to this earth and wants to meet him. You can't do that. Uh, if you know, have you, anyone watched any of the videos of our new King Charles III? He appeared at the queue, didn't he? And he's going down the line shaking everyone's hands. Now, the one thing you do not do when he does that is stay on your phone and go, yeah, yeah, that's all right for you. Aren't you? you know, everyone gets rid of their phone and they're running over to the barrier in order to try and, yeah, this is an amazing person and the king is here with his kingdom. The Son of God has come and that is a challenge to all of us. 
We've got to respond to that. So anyone who says that all religions are the same, that's a massive error. Because no other religion claims to have God on earth as a man like Jesus. That's offensive in lots, of, in lots and lots of religions. C.S. Lewis famously quoted, when you look at Jesus, you can't dismiss him as a nice man. That's just ludicrous. Either he is mad, in which case he must be ignored because he's claiming to be the son of God. If that's not true, he's a madman. Get rid of him. Or he's lying about being the son of God, in which case he's bad and we should do everything we should to get rid of him. Or the third option is that he is actually who he says he is, in which case the only response can be worship, can't it? That can be our only response, is to worship our creator who has come to us peacefully and quietly as a person. Now you might be thinking, look, that's very well, but you know, my mates at school or university or the people in the work, or, or, or look, the whole world out there is going past and no one seems to take the slightest bit of interest. Why is that? Let me show you in this passage. Look down with me. What happens in verse 12? At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, literally threw him out. It's, it's emphasising the fact that he's going to be on his own. Again, we are getting a privileged peek behind the curtain. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, not with people, on his own. And the angels attended him. That's it. They sort of like looked after him. They served him. They kept him going. Now, Mark doesn't stop and unpack the theological relevance of that. I don't think that's his interest here. You go to the other Gospels, and they will tell you what that temptation means. This is just a simple fact that we get to see behind the curtain and see that what's going on when Jesus comes is a spiritual struggle. There is a spiritual battle going on. Do you see that? So the fact that the world doesn't get it, or your mates don't get it, or your family painfully doesn't get it, is not just because they don't know who Jesus is, but actually there's a spiritual struggle going on. And we're being set up here in Mark's Gospel to know that more than the people who we're going we're to meet in Mark's Gospel so that we can see how will they respond. We can understand why the religious elders who should have been the first person to go hooray weren't. We can understand why some people actually wanted to kill him. It's because there's a spiritual struggle going on. And therefore we expect that bright people, they won't get Jesus. They'll hate him. We, we, we know that it's normal for fire alarms to go off in the middle of sermons like they did last week. We know that the pain of loved ones not sharing our joy in Christ is that there's a spiritual battle going on and so we must pray for them. We know that it's not just a lack of knowledge, although it does start with the need for knowledge. And that's what Jesus does. So first of all, it's worth following Jesus because he is the son of God. But also, I want you to see him now. Look what he calls us to do. Okay, that's our second point. Look what he calls us to do. Jesus calls us home. This is his aim. We've seen the who, and now we're going to see the what in verse 14 to 15. Read that with me. He says, after John was put in prison, another little reminder that the gospel would come with struggle. There's a spiritual battle going on. And a little reminder that Jesus is going to be handed over. It's the same word, put in prison, it's handed over. When Jesus gets handed over to the authorities, it's a reminder he's going to die. 
But what's his why? After John was put in the prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And he said, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So, people of God, if I ask you what time is it, you might say, this sermon's getting on, it's time to finish. Or you might say it's 10 past 11. Or you might say with Jesus, the times that we live in now are the times of the kingdom of God coming near. That's what time we live in. And that means that it is time for us to repent and believe. What time is it? The kingdom of God has come near. Now, the kingdom of God, the Israelites in the Old Testament, were waiting in the ruins of God's kingdom and his city, having been blatted by Babylonians and the rest, and they're waiting for a king who would restore God's kingdom, a place where God would be with them, and the people would be perfect, and there would only be blessing, curses eradicated. In Isaiah 52, 7, listen to this. You can hear the joy of the watchman waiting for this king and his kingdom as their longing is fulfilled when that restoring king is seen in the distance coming. They were speaking of Jesus when they said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. How brilliant when that person comes to say the kingdom of God is here. Everything is going to be sorted. Wouldn't we greet the person and the leadership with joy and thrill if we knew that they were going to sort out this bittersweet mess that we live in? We would, wouldn't we? Jesus is that king that brings that kingdom of God. It's starting now. It's like waiting. Do you remember waiting at school? It's been painful, and the school bell goes, yes! And then you're out, and the car's there with a parent, and they're going to take you home to safety, to food, mainly, and to love, and to care. And the thrill when the bell goes, right? Here is Jesus ringing the bell. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. But rather than calling us to jump in the car, he's calling us to do what? So he's told us what time it is, and look at the imperatives. The orders that he gives us in verse 15 are, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. It's not enough just to do the believing. You've got to act on it and repent. And repent is all about turning around. It's stop going my way, and I start follow, stop going my way and following my rules, and I start going Jesus' way and following his rules. I start following him. It's about radical change that produces a life that is totally different to those who are around us. But it's also a call to a personal relationship. Do you see that? With the Son of God. Stop running away and come back to me, like the prodigal son who comes back to the father. Now, I think often as Christians, I think we're good at the, we, we think all the time, I've got to stop doing that, I've got to stop doing that, I'm going to stop doing that. But we forget that that is important and good, and we feel the guilt of it, and we say sorry. But what we are doing is not just fleeing sin, but we are fleeing to something. Specifically, we are fleeing to a person and their kingdom. We forget that we're also turning to follow someone who is amazing. And look, when we get that, any radical change is totally worth it. 
of course we would flee sin because we are busy turning around and running to Jesus and his kingdom, which is better by far. It's like those guys at the barriers. When, when King Charles III turns up and they're on their phone, doom scrolling, or, you know, I don't know, watching something inappropriate, you, you get rid of that. I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to have a chat with King Charles III. And that's better by far than this. That's amazing. It would be totally weird not to, because of who he is and why he's there, to chat to you, to have a relationship with you. But how much more quickly should we put aside our sin and run to be with Jesus, who isn't there for a chat, but he's come there to bring us into the kingdom of God by his death and resurrection? How strange to cling to our sin that distracts us with the mess, you know, it distracts us from the mess of this world and our pain sometimes, doesn't it? But so weird to cling to that when we've got the solution right there. And so the question for us today, Jesus is the Son of God, he's come to you and I, and the challenge is, is, is how will we respond? And we're going to see that all the way through Mark's Gospel, but particularly today, how will we respond? Will we repent and believe the good news and allow him to change us radically and forever? Or to start maybe that personal relationship today. That's the opportunity, isn't it? We can repent for the first time today. Jesus, I'm sorry I got that wrong. I'm a mess. Lord, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Please help me live for you. That is it. You're in the kingdom of God. It's way easier than being baptised, isn't it? Isn't that brilliant? You could pray that today. I want you to take a Mark's Gospel with you. If that's you and you're thinking about it, take one of these away with you today. It's at the back. And read about this wonderful Son of God who's come, not to judge, but to save and to bring us into his kingdom. Come back and do an explorer's course, which I think we're starting on the 3rd of October on Monday evenings. But also it's a comfort, isn't it, for those grieving the Queen. We're right to mourn the loss of a ruler who echoed and pointed to Jesus and his kingdom so well. And we lament that she is not with us, but we rejoice that she is with the Lord in the kingdom of heaven right now, enjoying the joys of that place and that person face to face. And we're comforted that we have a king in Jesus who will never die like her, but is always with us. If you're student or youth or you're young here, I find it so hard you know, I always want to fit in. I'm desperate to fit in. And the thing about being a Christian is if you're repenting, you're not going to fit in. And it's a nightmare. And it's easy to think, what's the least I can do and kind of get away with it? That's what I used to, I think like that all the time. But no, here is the Son of God calling you to come and repent and be in the kingdom of God with him. What's the most I can do? How ludicrously different can I be in order to be in the kingdom of heaven? Flee your sin and repent as much as you can, not as little, because he is wonderful. And his kingdom is here. And for the weary Christian, we need to remember that it is worth it. Each day you get up, you struggle to get out of bed, you struggle to get your Bible open, you fight for that time to read your Bible and be with God. It is worth it because you're following the Son of God and only he can restore you and renew you and heal you and forgive your sins and bring you home to the kingdom of God. It's the Son of God calling you to be with him. So that is marvellous. So keep going. And if you struggle with that, 
Surround yourself with people who are going to preach this message to you. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. I need to hear that all the time. It's also a reminder, isn't it, that we've got to use words. Jesus used words. This is a summary of his teaching. I'm sure he didn't just use 12 words. But he used words, didn't he? And so we want to use words with those people who are out there who don't get it and say, listen, Jesus is the Son of God. He's come to die for you. He is Lord. You've got to make a choice. Are you going to repent and follow him into the kingdom? Or are you going to ignore him and take the risk of the judgment that comes with that? And we do that with love and action and prayer because there is a spiritual battle going on about that, isn't there? Yeah? It's a great privilege uh, of mine to have met up for some time with a trans man about halfway through the process of transitioning uh, uh, to discuss faith in the Bible. And this individual asked me, look, Ed, this is all very well, but what does, what does this mean, this call to repent and believe? What does that mean for me? And I, you know, I said, so I, mate, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what it means for you. But I do know this. I know that there will be great change. Not only will it be big, but it will be excellent. And you will work that out over time with a church family who love you. For every single person who comes to Christ, there is great change. It's big change, but it's excellent change because he is worth it. And what he's calling us to in repentance and faith is totally worth it. For every person, coming to Christ means great change. And we do it together, we do it slowly, we do it patiently, we slip up and we get it wrong, but it's great change. Can I say that I have often found it very hard to do what I know God wants me to do. There are times when that's so tough, but I've never, not once, regretted it. Because he is worth it, and his kingdom is worth it. And that is what we pray, that Sylvie and Ruby and Kazir, 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 thanks guys. That's what we pray that they will know, isn't it, as well. Should we pray? Lord God, we are so humbled when we come before your perfection here as you resist sin, the perfect sinless God with sinful people like us. What a privilege, Lord, to have you speak to us and call us into your kingdom. Lord, not to pronounce judgment upon us, but your first words are to call us to come and be with you. And Lord, we praise, pray, Lord, that you would help us to repent, uh, to turn away from sin and to turn to you and to do so with great joy, relishing the opportunity to turn away from what enslaves and corrupts and destroys and makes difficult and instead turn to you and to life. And Lord, we pray that especially for Kazir, Ruby and Sylvie, and their parents and godparents, but all of us here as well. Amen. Amen.